The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ideas. You're listening to Squawk Eye Den, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 81 of the Squawk Eye Den podcast, recorded on the 6th of June, 2021 from the Mobile Aviator Sound Studios from high atop the fifth floor of the Hyatt Place DFW, just south of the Dallas International Airport. On today's episode of the Squawk Ident Podcast, we explore the rise of assault and battery charges coming from aircraft. That's right. What to expect when you're flying into an airport that is co-located with the military base and the ATIS controllers say, cleared to land, arresting cable up. What? All of us here at the show have had some sort of flight training this month. We discuss my recurrent event, Rob's long-term initial coming up, and Roger's going to have some upcoming training too. I also had an amazing opportunity to step back into the GA world with an exclusive invitation to take command of the Wong Warrior. That's right. After 15 years since my last command of a normally aspirated single-engine aircraft, I was able to join one of our favorite guests from episode 74, a warrior and a pilot, Miss Christy Wong. She and I took flight in her 1981 Piper Warrior. We have some audio from a post-flight meetup and much more. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 81 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Well, before we start that pre-flight checklist, I want to again thank Captain Greg Ogborn for joining us on episode 80, Mounted Archer Hits Aviation Bullseye. If you've not looked into mounted archery, it's a very impressive sport, and I gotta say, it's pretty badass. To be joined by Greg for a one-on-one interview was so very cool. Thanks again, Captain Ogborn. We look forward to flying with you again real soon. Here to help me kick off today's show is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently a 737 pilot. Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. He joins us from his remote studio and, dare I say, classroom, high atop the Marriott Residence in Residence? That's fancy. In Miami Beach, Florida, where he is trying to quickly learn the French aviation engineering philosophies so he can understand how to fly an Airbus. (gasps) Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Bonjour. I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> Bonjour, monsieur. <laughs> Man, this has been a crazy couple weeks for all of us. 
Uh, you Tell know, me about it, we man. have been trying to get episode 81 recorded now for days. And, you know, as is the schedule of pilots, not just airline yeah. pilots, but pilots in general, you know, every time we thought it would work out, something came up. And yeah, it's been busy. Oh, but we have a jam packed show today. Uh, we're going to yeah. talk about some of the things that have been happening in the news lately. Uh, just a quick brief on, you know, keeping those 737s off the pole. You know, I always thought it was the goal of any father out there to keep their, their, their children <laughs> off the pole. And now it's, you know, the chief pilot's job to keep the 737 off the pole. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, um, yeah but that's crazy. That could have happened to anyone. And we're going to talk about... Uh, a little bit of, of how it happened, and uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about some of these incidents that are happening on aircraft. And now that everyone's got a film recu- recording studio in their pocket that is, yeah. uploads to the, the web instantaneously, yeah. um, you know, every time studio. this happens, yeah. So, but here we are. Um, the only reason that we were able to record today. Uh, we were actually going to delay the recording until Monday, but uh, the only reason that we were able to do it today is I had a four-leg day, and right in the middle of it, uh, the turn canceled, so leg two and three canceled. Uh, it's, that's six and a half hours of sit time in Legacy Airlines wow. in, in very you know good fashion. Before I got a chance to call them, they called me and said, uh, First Officer uh, Tony, uh, Saw that your flight canceled there to Austin and uh, back. So, you know, we're going to give you the option. If you'd like a day room, we'll put you up in one of the hotels. And I was so like, nice. absolutely. So yeah. that gives me an opportunity to get away from the noise and the, and the hustle and bustle of the airport yeah. and come into a hotel room and, and put my feet up for a while. And, and then I texted you and I said, hey, what are you doing for the next four hours? <laughs> <laughs> so let's do our let's might as well do our part-time gig that that's it <laughs> since our full-time gigs on hold <laughs> yeah and it gives you a break from from doing some of that yeah. studying that you're doing and such yeah. a good such a good boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely been uh occupying my free time yeah. trying to um just kind of you know get spooled up on the systems assignments on the airbus so that's uh that's taken a lot of time, as you know. It's a auto electronic uh, EF electronic flight bag, and everything is done at home, computer based training. Yeah, and uh, so you have to sit there in front of the screen and and really pay attention because there's always a quiz after every module, and um, the goal is obviously to get a hundred percent, which never happens because uh, you know some of these questions are worded a little, little. Uh, I don't say wouldn't say weird, but there's always one or two questions in there that are, you know, just don't have the the answers all sound the same. Yeah, there's a couple in there <laughs> in that systems uh, uh, online quiz that they have, which is a wonderful way to really get to know yeah. the systems that you're responsible for. But there's a couple in questions in there that there's more than one right answer. You just have to figure out which one's the writer answer. <laughs> part exactly. My, part of my or English. If, you, if you're like me. You know, you, you see the, you know, the first, the first one is the right answer, but, you know, because of the last seven questions, it's a one click answer, you know, and this one happens to be a multiple 
um, click answer um, question. So you have to select more than one, but of course I didn't get, you know, my eyes just, I'm just too quick. So I select the one that I know that's right, but then there's two or three others that are correct below it too. And I forget to select those. So, oh, that is incorrect. And I'm like, no, that is right. And then all the three other ones pop up. I'm like, oh yeah, that's two. But I didn't read all those because I just stopped at the first one. <laughs> yep. RTFQ, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Read the whole freaking question. question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And if there's a answer A and B are correct or all of the above, yeah, you're good chance. <laughs> pretty close to, to yeah, yeah. You can guess yeah. that one. Multiple guess. Uh, but yeah, here we are. Uh, it's just so happy that we were able to to meet up. Roger, unfortunately, is uh, out and about uh, in the skies above yeah, the United too. States, working his butt off. Um, yeah. And I even reached out to our, our good friend Kyle, who uh, had a sign in about ten minutes ago, so he wasn't able oh, to, yeah. to make it either. Ah, oh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, the the DFW airport today and yesterday just fiasco i gotta tell you with all the storms rolling through the airport has been just from going from one recovery to another and i we we do not need the water there's so much rain coming from the skies the dfw texas area is flooded i mean the lakes are flooded there's parks along the uh the lakes so you can't even get to the lake get to the parks because they're they're flooded up in water. I mean, yeah. some of the water goes past the parking lots and in, in some of these places. So we do not need more any more rain. Well, send it so, my way, would you? Because Southern California, as a matter of fact, yeah. I just uh, read an article that all of California is now officially under drought. Oh, that yeah. you could take it, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and and stupid me, I forgot to turn off my sprinkler system throughout this whole last month. I just, I, I thought I turned it off and I've been, you know, busy working and everything like that. And plus it's so wet all the time that you don't even know if your sprinkler systems are going off or not. Yeah. So my wife looks at the, the water bill and she's like, why is our water bill so high? Uh-oh. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe we have a leak somewhere. And then I was like, well, let me go test the, test the, the sprinklers and make mm. sure that's usually the first place there's a leak. I go look at the uh, switch for the sprinkler system and it says auto. <laughs> nice. Oh man. <laughs> nice. So yeah. Flip that thing back to off and hopefully that'll help help the water bill problem and the flooding for that fact. Cause there's, I don't need to add any more water to the yard. <laughs> right. I have an old school uh, sprinkler control system as well. And I've been seriously considering upgrading to one of the Wi-Fi. Is that the one that goes Oh, oh, I see. No, just a Wi-Fi gotcha. unit so that from your phone, it, it like links up to an app. Yeah. And it, if it rains, it automatically shuts yeah, it off it and, um, yeah. and you can adjust it from your phone. So if you're not home and you can go, oh, I forgot to turn it back on or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's the way to do it. But hey, uh, let's talk about the latest that has been hitting the interwebs with the Southwest Airlines assault video. Now, yeah. a flight attendant that had asked a passenger towards the back of the aircraft to repeatedly put or don their face mask, as is required by the Properly. FAA, yep. the NTSB, 
the the TSA, they all are now federally mandating that while on board an aircraft at all times, unless you're actively eating and drinking, you must wear a mask. And a passenger was asked multiple times to don the mask properly. Now, we have been instructed uh, that there is a procedure now in place at Legacy Airlines, and I know all the airlines have set out some kind of procedure in place for noncompliance. Now, for us, you know, there's a form the flight attendant will issue to the passenger, the captain's notified, and then it's at the captain's discretion whether or not to continue the flight or to divert the flight, which is always an option, um, and, or continue with law enforcement action. I mean, it, it all just depends yeah. on the escalation of the event. Well, yeah. from the video, you can see that this event escalated real quick, uh, yeah. and this female passenger punched a female flight attendant in the face, causing her to lose two teeth. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, that's there's just no no need for that. So you know, obviously the, the the woman was arrested. Um, thankfully, an ABP, an able-bodied mm. passenger, stepped in and got between them and was able to uh, de-escalate a little de-escalate. bit until they could get yeah. on the ground and take care of the situation. But this is yeah. ridiculous. I mean, what do you what do you think? Have you had any of these kind of escalations come up? No, I haven't had anything come up um, when pertaining to a passenger assaulting. Um, another passenger or crew member, um, but I did have a an intoxicated individual during boarding um, run past the gate agent. So in other words, they didn't. They had a little verbal confrontation up at the gate with the gate agent, and the gate agent decided to um, not board this individual because of the intoxication and, and the confrontation they're having and the passenger decided well i'm not going to listen to the gate agent i'm just gonna walk or run or jog by the, the podium and just go on to the airplane which you know now they're trespassing and they were not ticketed in first class but she decided she was going to take a first class seat so the agent stopped boarding and uh you know she they, she came down the jet bridge and she was very polite she's like ma'am we need you to get off the airplane um, i haven't scanned your ticket yet and besides you're not you're not seated in first class she's like well i'm gonna be sitting here for the flight and you know you already know where you have the computer up there you can just scan whatever ticket you issue but make it first class <laughs> So that, that went back and forth a couple of minutes. And then finally she's like, okay. She's like, I, I, we're going to have to call, you know, law enforcement to get you off the airplane because you refuse to move. Yeah. She's like, well, fine. I'm not moving. So a few minutes later, law enforcement shows up. They ask her to get off the airplane and she's like, nope, I'm not leaving. 
So after a few minutes of asking her to get off, then they're finally like, okay, we got to deplane the whole airplane. Right. That's the only way to get them all off, to get her off. And as everybody's starting to get up, uh, another AVP, able-bodied passenger, starts pleading with the individual. She's like, the, the man was like, hey, listen, you know, if you just get up and walk off this airplane right now, you know, you will be, you'll have a much easier time getting to where you need to go. And, you know, besides, you know, you're intoxicated and you may be on some kind of influence of some other uh, substance, but, you know, you, I'm sure you have a clear enough mind to, to think clearly. If you, they have to remove you with the police officer, you will be going to jail and you will be suffering a major fine. So why don't we just, why don't I help you up? We'll help you up the jet bridge. We'll do this together. And, you know, we, we could all have end this in a good, good way. Yeah. And she just started tearing up and she's like, yeah, it's fine. Let's go. So she ended up walking up with that man. Everybody gave that guy a huge round of applause. Cause it, you know, he really did a good job of, he must've been like a hostage negotiator in some, <laughs> some life or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, long story short, that's the, uh, it didn't escalate like the Southwest incident, but, um, you know, it, we, we have some people that are definitely, <laughs> it's, it, you know, the, the level of craziness of border flights are, are, are skyrocketing. Yeah. So, you know, we, yeah, and, and it's, it's tough. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've heard a couple incidences lately, uh, similar in nature. Um, and your incident actually re- reminded me of a of a joke that a captain once told me, and uh, yeah. you know it's it, I think it's clean enough and 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 it doesn't offend too many people I can tell you now, but it's a very similar joke and um, it says yeah there was a flight and there's beautiful this beautiful woman that was sitting in coach in the middle of the flight she gets up and she walks to the to the first class area and there was an open seat so she sits down well the the flight attendant that was working in the coach cabin saw this happening and said huh so he follows her through into the first class and says ma'am i'm sorry but um your ticket is a coach ticket i i i can't have you up here these are reserved for first class passengers only you do not have a first class seat and she says Mm -hmm. oh well i'm beautiful and i'm I belong up here with all the beautiful people. I'm I'm going to be sitting here for the rest of the flight. I I got a first class, you know. I, I belong in first class. And the flight says, oh, "Ma'am, you, you you have to you have to go to back to coach to the seat that you paid for. I, I'm not moving. I'm beautiful. You can't make me move." So the, the flight attendant doesn't want to have an altercation. So he goes up and tells the purser which is the, the lead flight attendant that works the first class galley. And the lead flight attendant says, okay, I'll handle this. So she walks back there and, and, and looks her you know, in the face and look, gets real close to her and looks her in the eyes and says, ma'am, ma'am, you did not buy a first class seat. I'm going to need you to collect your bag right now and follow me to the back and take your originally assigned seats or there will be trouble. Okay, you need to get your stuff. And without missing a, a beat, she's like, well, I'm a beautiful person. I belong up here with the beautiful people, and you can't make me move. So the, the person was like, oh, she's, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So she calls the captain in the intercom and says, Captain, we got a problem back here. I have a passenger that refuses to move back to her coach seat. She's in a first-class seat, and we've asked her multiple times. She will not move. 
And the captain goes, oh, yeah, I've heard about this happening. Um, by any chance, is she a relatively attractive blonde woman? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, huh, okay. So he looks at his FO, and he goes, how do you think we should handle this? And the FO's young, FO, he's like, I, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe if I go back there, I'm a pilot, you know, maybe she sees me in uniform, she'll be a little intimidated, and she'll move back. <laughs> And he's like, you know what? Why don't you go ahead and try that? So the flight attendant comes up and the first officer goes to the back and says, ma'am, listen, you know, you're really causing a disturbance here. I really need you to move to your original seat. Otherwise, the captain's going to have to take action here and, and you're not going to like it. She goes, I'm a beautiful person. I belong up here with the beautiful people in first class and you're not going to make me move. So <laughs> the FO was like, what the hell? So he goes back up to the cockpit and the captain says, she didn't move, did she? He goes, no, she, she didn't move. She's, she's not intimidated by my uniform at all. And he goes, oh, you guys are a bunch of amateurs. I'll handle this. So he gets up. He goes to the back. He whispers in her ear. Immediately she goes, oh, my God, Captain, I'm so sorry. Oh, yes, yes, I'll, I'll move right away. And she gets her things, and she goes back to the back of the airplane and sits down in coach. And everybody is, like, just dumbfounded. Like, what the heck what just happened? Say? What did you tell her? He's like, listen. I've been married to a good-looking blonde for 25 years. You just have to know how to talk to him. He's like, well, yeah, but what did you say? I made it very clear that first class wasn't going to Cleveland with the rest of us. First class was going to Charlotte. <laughs> ah. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all podcast. That's like the longest joke I've to ever told. Stewardesses on your way out. <laughs> yeah, this is Larry Entertainer here. Uh, do some stand-up now that you're a captive audience. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Sorry, just had to share oh, that man. one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, Delta is not immune to this whole incident. Um, they had a flight actually divert uh, recently, and oh. the passenger stormed the cockpit in flight and was restrained. Uh, we got a little bit of audio from that, and let's take a listen from the CBS Evening News. There's been more bad behavior in the skies. Tonight, the FBI is looking into the actions of a passenger who forced a Delta Airlines jet to make an emergency landing in Albuquerque. CBS's Michael George reports. They were supposed to fly from Los Angeles to Nashville, but Delta Flight 386 diverted to Albuquerque, New Mexico late Friday when a passenger caused a disruption. He was screaming, stop the plane, according to Jessica Robertson. She was one of the 162 passengers on board and took this video from her third row seat. Tom Beanert sat in 1B. They're not clowning around. And I realized they were in a full-on you know, fight, wrestling. CBS News has learned flight attendants were forced to act when the man approached the 737's flight deck. Delta 386, the passenger still restrained? Yes, sir, Delta 386. After making an emergency landing, the unruly passenger was removed by authorities. Delta told CBS News thanks to the crew and passengers of Delta Flight 386, who assisted in detaining an unruly passenger. Chris Williams had come back up and was sitting in the jump seat, and I was just so impressed with the guy. This man, seated nearby, tweeted, the attendant just saved the plane. Michael George, CBS News, New York. So that, again, from CBS News, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, 
a wonderful job by the crew. You know, you train for these kind of scenarios. A lot of it's theoretical training, um, some physical training for the flight attendants when they when they go through recurrent every year. Um, but until it happens in real life, you never know how it's going to end up. You never know how you're going to react. And I just want to say they did a phenomenal job of keeping it cool. Um, and thanks to the passengers that got involved, that stepped in. You know, if you're an able-bodied person and you see something that is not right, you know, we count on you. We count on you to at least stand up and be present and help. It was really, really awesome to watch that uh, flight attendant take command of the situation when you watch the video, um, instructing the, uh, the ABPs, the able-bodied passengers on what we needed to do and how to handle the situation. And, um, and then they had to re reposition that, that, uh, subdued passenger to the back of the aircraft, of course, you know, where they want to get him as far away from the cockpit as possible, even though he's subdued at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, they, he, he really, really did a very good job. He, he looks like he had some kind of military experience before, just by the way he was, um, well, I mean, it, 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 it's flight attendant training too, but, you know, he definitely um, took command of the situation and, and, you know, he directed the guys or the people that were helping him. Hey, let's, you know, pick them up by the arms, face down, drag them back and let's get them in the back. I don't care if you're black, white, Indian, Asian, I can use all the help we can get. Let's get them back there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was cool, man. Yeah. That it's crazy, man. I, that, that, uh, that uh that passenger certainly had some issues going on and because when they were trying to subdue him it sounded like he was saying you know we need to stop the airplane we need to stop the airplane and he kept repeating it over and over and over and over until he was completely exhausted yeah and and you know i think nine out of ten when these scenarios develop it usually has something to do with the mental health of the passenger involved yeah. because no sane person would have these kind of actions, would say these kind of things. So, sure. yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's a testament to what we deal with every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the masks are definitely causing some kind of, you know, alter ego or chemical reaction or hypoxia hypoxic, uh, um, you know, situation in, in the body where there is people are, you know, and it's cramped back there and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely people are always in your personal space. And then, you know, I mean, up until recently, we haven't had any service back there and yeah, you know, you, you, by the time you walk on the airplane, from the time you get to the airport, find a parking spot, go through security lines, which are just ridiculously long, and then try to find something to drink or eat in the airport where those lines are crazy long. And then you get on an airplane and, you know, there's no services involved. It's pretty stressful. Yeah, you know, and I, I could see people snapping and uh, I mean, there's definitely no excuse for that. But you know, I'm just saying those are some of the contributing factors to uh, probably some of the uh, 
you know, some some of the uh, the incidents yeah. we've been having on board. Yeah. This country, yeah, we are going sure. to hell. Um, it, it's been it's been kind of crazy. Uh, we've talked about this on the show plenty of times. Uh, you know, we talked about the incident I had in Hawaii, which is extremely yeah. similar. I mean, the only difference is what happened in Hawaii was, uh, and I, I think I talked about this last show or the show before, um, I had a passenger, we were still on the ground. We had just started the engines. This passenger ran from the back of the plane to the front of the plane, and he was saying, let me off, let me off, let me off. I need to get off this plane. Yeah. The only difference is we were on the ground. We had not taken off yet. Uh, four more minutes, and we would have been in the air. So yeah. we were able to handle the situation on the ground. It's very similar. We used flex cuffs as well. Uh, yeah. These things happen. Now, we didn't make the news because nobody filmed right. it. You know, right. that's the only difference. Um, and I think everybody, even on, on our flight, handled the situation excellently. Um, yeah. You know, and in our flight, a passenger got bit. The, oh, man. An able-bodied passenger that was holding. It took five men to hold this very small statured male down. So we thought drugs were involved wow. because that guy yeah. was like animal beast mode. Um, yeah. These things happen, you know? So yeah. be, if you're not flying, look around, be aware. Don't be so oblivious and, and knee deep plugged into the matrix, watching your TikTok <laughs> videos while you're boarding that you don't actually look around and see what's going on, you know, or even in flight, yeah. you know, every once in a while, look around, look up. Life is happening, you know, um, yeah. and it's for your safety as well. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Good advice. So, you know, last week I was doing a pretty cool trip, actually about a week and a half ago. Um, and it was the last trip right before my training event, my R12, which is now every 12 months we got a retraining cycle. So R12, 12-month training cycle. And I did a little bit of studying. I cracked some books. I pulled out all my notes. I have a, a notebook that is dedicated only for recurrent training and training. And so I have all my notes in there from the very beginning, from new hire class. So every time I go, I would just keep writing the notes, I rewrite them. And, you know, it's a right. good way review to kind of review. Yeah. yeah, because it's been a while since, you know, I had the last uh, few observations. And so mm -hmm. it was a good place. Plus, I went online and looked at all the recurrent information that was posted on both the legacy website and uh, AirbusDriver.net. We've talked about that on the show, too. It's a yeah. third-party website that they update, like, what the latest and the greatest is from the rumor mill, the gouge, as one would call it. Um, and so I, I felt relatively prepared. But as we've mentioned many times before, I have PTSD from the Sandpiper training that we all received. <laughs> you know, that respect the stick. You will be hit on the knuckle with the stick if you do not press the right yeah. button. You know, I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Ow! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we all have that. We've all had that. So, so the week before that, um, I flew a really cool trip uh, into... Fort Walton Beach. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, I think it was LA to Dallas, Dallas, Fort Walton Beach, if I remember correctly. And I hadn't been there in a while since Sandpiper Days. It was my first time flying in there under the legacy livery. And I had a really, real top notch captain flying with me. And it was my leg. So I briefed the, the arrival, what we expected. Um, 
We talked about the, hey, they keep you high and they chop you and drop you. Let's be prepared for that. Okay. Uh, we're going to be doing an ILS to runway 19 in visual conditions, and they might clear us the visual. We'll just do our best to get fully configured by the final approach fix in case they slow us way down. There is intensive jet training and jet uh, exercises going on there, military aircraft. So our head will be on a swivel. Plus, on top of that, there's a lot of GA traffic around the area, too, along the beach. So we were ready. And as we were starting our descent, again, we were a little high because they keep you high. They said, well, hey, can you accept the visual to one, two? And like, yeah, sure. We talked about this as being a, a possibility. Let's, let's accept the visual one, two. So they gave us a radar vector. And the radar vector, while we were getting the radar vector, uh, we were still on autopilot, just above 10,000 feet. We're like, hey, let's uh, you know, plug in runway one, two here, back it up with the instrument approach. And I talked about it, and we talked about the arresting cable because they have military training there, and they have an arresting cable that sits on mm -hmm. these rubber donuts just above the surface of the asphalt or the, the runway. And so there are ops pages or operations pages that we, our company has published in our Jeppesen manual that indicates that when you're coming in to land, if the cables in the, on the ATIS or the controller tells you that the cables are raised or up, that means that the cable is sitting on the top of the runway surface on these orange donuts flanked on either side by big yellow circles and sometimes the buildings as well. So if that's the case, try landing just beyond that and the runway numbers for that are also published on the 10-9 chart. So mm -hmm. we briefed all of that. You know, we had plenty of runway. We had, a, you know, we had to do a landing assessment. Uh, because it's non-normal. You, know, you don't normally land past the aiming point markers, but you're still within the first third of the runway or first 3,000 feet, whatever it is, shorter. So we're like, great. And uh, as we started our descent, uh, I had just finished the brief, and the controller says, you know what, uh, Legacy changed our mind. It's going to be a visual runway 19, fly to the outer marker, you're clear of the visual. <laughs> okay, no problem. So since we're below 10, I had the captain uh, plug that into the FMGC or the FMS. And we're like, okay, I verify the waypoints. Uh, go ahead and extend me off that final approach fix. And we're cleared the visual. Let's start to get configured. And as previously briefed, and we are at 1,500 feet. And they say, we have an aircraft uh, disabled on the runway. Can you accept the circle to land visual runway 1-2? We're like, absolutely. So it was all asses and elbows, my friend. I immediately yeah. clicked the autopilot off, turned the flight directors both off, pulled the alt I had him pull the altitude hold uh, feature. Uh, and then I said, all right, give me a heading. I'm going to turn snap to this heading. It was basically a 45-degree entry to a visual downwind at 1,500 feet. And he's like, oh, sweet. So, okay, and pull heading. I said, pull the speed dial it back to a certain speed so I could start to slow to get fully configured. As soon as we were midfield downwind, the gear came down. We went to flaps two. And before we turned uh, base leg, I was at flaps three, fully configured, and the landing checklist was complete. Completely did a visual approach, raw data, and he actually had time to push a couple buttons on the flight management computer and he actually extended me off of runway one two. And on the Airbus, you'll learn that if you go in 
uh, flight director's off, raw data, autopilot off. You press the track or the bird, we call it, the track button. So instead of heading and altitude, it gives you a track and a, and a flight path angle. And mm -hmm. there's a little green dot on the right side where the, the ILS normally would be displayed. And that green dot is a three-degree glide path from the runway threshold that the computer gives you some kind of reference. So you always mm. have a reference, even when you're raw data. And mm, nice. it was one of the nicest, cleanest, dare I say, visual approaches <laughs> to a circle of land on a basic yeah. downwind pattern and yeah. landed just beyond the, the arresting cables. And it was a nice turn off. And the captain's like, damn, dude, you're like, you're, yeah. you're ready for that simulator, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I was, you know, I, a lot of people don't realize, you know, visual approaches are a little more challenging in, in heavy jets than, than they are in smaller general aviation airplanes. Not that to say that they can't be done with ease, just that the, the sight pictures are, are, are not normal. I mean, we're, cause most of the time we're, we're, we're using lateral and vertical guidance, um, pretty much all the way down to the runway from, you know, a, a from usually a hundred miles out, starting with the arrival, you know, so uh, descending from the flight levels down to the airport, we're given um, altitudes and headings and airspeeds, or, or we're following those procedures on a, on a published uh, uh, procedure. So by the time we get down to the runway, I mean, everything is pretty much already pre-planned for us. So when we're given the, uh, just a raw, there's the airport, go land on it. Um, it turns into a different ball of wax because there, those normal cues or normal um, checkpoints or fixes or you know lateral or vertical guidance um, symbols just aren't there. Well, I mean they're they're there, but they're not as uh, I, I forget. I, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm for I'm here a lack well, lack of terms or words for it, but they're they're not used or they're not yeah uh, in you know. Uh, Oh, I hate when I get like this, but they're not um, used in conjunction with the auto flight and the and, and everything that, that we have in the airplane. So because uh, a 737 is the same way. There's if you just do raw data, I mean, not even raw data. If you just do a visual approach, I mean, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I think when the normal nothing. symbology is presented on the PFD or the primary flight display, when the normal yeah. symbology is displayed and you have a path you have vertical guidance, you have horizontal guidance, you have airspeed guidance, you have everything's laid out for you with normal symbology, even with the autopilot off on a hand-flown approach, you know what to expect, you know what it should look like, and you have all, you have over a thousand points of reference helping you out, making sure that you're on speed, on path, and on guidance. When you yep. shut all of that off and go to the lowest level of automation, and it's a glass cockpit. And so now all the normal symbology has disappeared. And now you're looking at a different symbology that you maybe mm -hmm. see possibly only when you're in the simulator. I mean, just dependent yeah. upon how often you try to go out of your comfort zone to do these things. So to, to, to be able to shoot a clean visual approach that is not just a straight in with the with the flight path angle of three <laughs> degrees and you could do the math great good for you 
you know, your three to one rule. Great. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing this and you're doing a downwind and you have to judge your ground speed, what direction the wind's coming from, do I have enough distance from the runway to make a nice clean turn or am I going to overshoot the final? Am I going to undershoot? Then am I going to end up high or low? So when you, when you execute one of these maneuvers, it's just what it really is to a landing and it comes out like that. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I'm not to try to toot my own horn, horn, but you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut <laughs> once in a while. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Well, it probably helped that you did a little GA flying earlier too in in, in the week. I well, think that, last week, so that probably helped out. A we're lot. gonna get to that. That was after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that was after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it was a, it was a fantastic layover in Fort Walton Beach. Cool. This the sugar sand. The really fine white yeah, sand, nice. that gold coast of the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Um, everything was open. Oh. Masks were optional if you were fully vaccinated. Nice. No one had a mask on that was fully vaccinated. We were able to go to dinner. The captain and I uh, went cool. to the crab. I think it was called the crab stick or the crab shack or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, my God. It was sit outside Good. patio, watch the freaking sun go down, have a couple yeah. adult beverages and talk about good times, man. It doesn't That's get awesome. any better than that. There's a new appreciation awesome. for it, actually. <laughs> yeah, man. And oh, by the way, that cable system that you were speaking about earlier, that you had the land pass and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's called the Bach 12. And sometimes they combine it with a Bach 14. B-A-K, it's a, a rester barrier system that's, uh, I think it's made by a company called Fairlead. Um, I'm sorry, Aviation Alliance. but um, they're used, they're called Bach 12 and Bach 14. So basically it's a cable system that the Air Force and International Guard use at, at all these airports that to, uh, to trap Air Force fighter jets uh, whenever they have an emergency situation that involves uh, the inability to stop the aircraft. And so uh-huh. um, it, just like a Navy airplane uh, landing on an aircraft carrier uses one every time, uh, the, the Air Force jets only use them when they have to in an emergency. And I've seen many airplanes use that system um, over the years when I was enlisted uh, from F-111s, F-4s, F-16s. And it's it's fun to watch. It's exciting because it doesn't happen every day. And it's, uh, you know, usually when when they're getting ready to use that cable, uh, you know, they've declared an emergency. So all the all the uh, fire trucks, first responders are out and all the you know, safety officer of flight, or they call it the SOF, you know, they're out there um, uh, watching and managing the, uh, the scene and everything like that. And it can, it can get pretty exciting because, you know, that's something that they practice, but, you know, a lot of things can go wrong uh, taking those barriers, um, you know, if, if, you know, if you mess something up. So anyway, they're designed to uh, stop an air, uh, a fighter aircraft, but they're also designed so that, um, so aircraft like the ones we fly, they can actually land on top of them. Well, I wouldn't say on top of them, or, you know, land and roll over them and not cause any damage or, or mm. problems with the, uh, with the, uh, with the aircraft other than a big thump. <laughs> it's like yes. a mini speed bump in a runway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to some information yeah, on those you. systems. Uh, the next day, I was doing my walk around. It was a kickoff flight, doing my walk around, and I heard something very cool. 
It was an F-22, or actually a pair of F-22s getting ready for takeoff. So yeah. I shot a couple of videos and I put them on the on the Squawk Ident uh, podcast social media there on Instagram and Facebook. And so it was really cool to, to get to see that. And that's when I was reminded that, oh, yeah, there's arresting cables out there. So when I got back in the airplane, I was mm. I was perusing the flight release, our you know digital copy of what is it fifty pages per flight of information, mm-hmm. notams, and all this performance <laughs> numbers and everything that's there. But on there, it our performance numbers did say that all performance numbers for runway one two, which is what we were departing on, have the takeoff roll starting after the arresting cables when they're up. Mm-hmm. And there's even some instructions in our operations page that say on departure, you want to use taxi thrust until you've gone over the cables with the mains and then roll it into a takeoff thrust setting. And your performance numbers are good from that point. Um, and but you, there's a photo that I took. I took a quick photo yeah. as we were taxiing and was able to get a snap one out real quick. And I'll post that on there. Um, and it's about 1,500 feet down the runway. Yeah. You can see it kind of yep. uh, past the aiming point markers. The, the marker, yeah. Yeah. So you I'll see put the little a little donuts too to hold it up. Yep. And it was a little good the dump as we crossed. And, yeah. <laughs> and then sure enough, uh, we went from there. Um, so cool. yeah, really cool experience. Um, and uh, by the time we got back to, to Dallas, uh, you know, that was it. Dallas back to LA and we were done. Nice, man. I had a day off. That's an exciting day. <laughs> and you had one day off. <laughs> one day off. One day off. I oh, repacked, geez. did laundry, repacked, got everything ready, got out my all my notebooks and everything, and had to pack not for a trip, but for my DFW training. Aha. Uh-huh. So went into DFW, got to the hotel, rented a car, and ended up having an experience, having the opportunity to drive out to the Denton Airport just north of Dallas, where I had a meetup with our very own Christy Wong, CFI, Gold Seal CFI. Uh, If you remember back on episode 74, uh, entitled A Warrior and a Pilot, you know, we learned about how Christy Wong, who was a clinical allergist, decided, oh man, you know, I really want to fly airplanes. I've I've loved airplanes since I was a little girl, and, and here she is. Living the Great dream. Story. Yeah. 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 So if you're if you want to know more about that and you haven't checked that out yet or you're new to the podcast, definitely go back and take take a listen. Um, she gave me a tour of her home airport. We she brought some barbecue with her. I mean, come on. Cool. Like I'm here I am. I'm like at, at her invite to go taking care of her guests and she's i'm like wait a minute i'm supposed to be doing the buying here you know you're taking me up and you're bringing me barbecue and well she actually had a student that was getting ready for stage check for his instrument rating and so uh, he was going to go up with a friend of hers on the cfi and so they did a little pre-briefing and then once they were on their way we went and toured her hangar and she has a 1981 piper cherokee warrior two it's sporting a lycoming O three sixty. It's got a hundred and eighty horsepower STC power plant, and it's a certified IFR instrument cluster that includes a Garmin six hundred and fifty. The aircraft is meticulously maintained and hangar kept, and it's part of the Arrow Valley Flying Club. 
where Christy Wong is the president. So <laughs> she's like, all right, help me get it out of the hangar and hop in. Let's go. I cool. got to tell you, Rob, it was since <laughs> Tailwind was the last time I set foot yeah. in a GA airplane. Tailwind wow. Flight Center. What, 2007, 2006? To the end of 2006, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. You know, I... I mean, how, so how was it? Oh, you know what? It brought back this... I, I don't think I stopped smiling for a good four hours. Um, you know, she is just so professional. We got in there. She gave me a quick safety brief, and we were off. She's like, you want to taxi it? I'm like, oh. oh okay <laughs> so taxing out i'm like oh you want to pull up on the run-up right we gotta do a mag check she's like yeah good you remember yeah so okay, yeah <laughs> so we went up and we went into this little practice area she gave me a tour of of where she flies and we had a wonderful conversation just about 2500 feet over the denton area and thunderstorms were rolling in we were actually afraid we weren't going to be able to fly uh, yeah. but the, the weather kind of really fizzled out Held off for you so yeah. a bunch of people uh you know canceled their instruction and so because we had the, the whole freaking area to ourself sweet you know and she's got the tcas and and the uh the tablet with the uh really cool four flight like flight program or something or, or whatever four, four flight yeah it's kind of like a, flight, yeah. the ga version of jeppesen so she'd look yeah. down and I'd look at her tablet and be like oh there's somebody over here that's not doing altitude reporting let's stay away from them and oh there's somebody over here and two miles ahead of us total tcas Live. It was wow. with the with weather cool. overlay and everything. And I was like, damn, this is like more advanced than <laughs> so the stuff I'm <laughs> flying, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, did some impossible turns, came back, and, and she had me do the first landing. She didn't demonstrate. I was like, okay, keep an eye on me. Now. Don't, don't let me embarrass myself. And of course, I flared too high. <laughs> <laughs> she had one finger on the control. She's like, nope, nose over. Nope, not, not, yet, yet, not, not yet, yet, not yet, not yet. I'm like, oh my God. Wait for it. Wait, wait for, for it. it. And then just then it went, <laughs> I was like, holy crap, I feel like we're sitting on the ground. Sitting on the runway. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, touch and go. Here we go. Let's go. You know, uh, flaps oh, up. Man. Full, that's, full that's, prop. Uh, that, when I was teaching at, at Tailwind, I, I had checked out. Um, uh, two British Airways 747 pilots. And so we were, I was checking them out in the uh, 182 that they had. Uh, and when we were coming in for the first landing, you know, he's like, oh, what speed should I maintain? I was like, oh, between 80 and 85. You know, that's a good approach speed with, you know, flaps 10 or something like that. And yeah. And he's like, okay. And, and as we approached like 200 feet, he was saying, Oh my gosh, I really, really want to flare right about now. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we're still 200 feet in the air. And we haven't even got over the runway yet. <laughs> He's like, I know, but in the 747, this is about the point where we're starting to slow and flare. And I'm like, really? He's like, no, yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, just watch me closely. And we got to about 100 feet, and he starts pulling the power back to idle. And I'm like, no, keep it in. Wow. Keep the nose down. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't that exciting. But, I mean, I, I was still <laughs> still coaching him down. And then finally, you know, we got into the landing flare. And we floated a little long because, you know, he wasn't he didn't know when, when the flare. But, um, uh, yeah, we, we got it on the ground. I was like, all right, let's go do it again. And the, by the second, third time, he had it down packed. But, yeah, 
man, that, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually remember you telling me that story, and uh, I yeah. went in prepared. I was like, okay, well, the cool thing is, you know, we were doing, there was no one in the pattern. It's a towered airport. She knows everybody there. She knows the tower controller. Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And so we did a couple pattern circuits, you know, and then on the third landing, uh, like she demonstrated the second landing, and then on the third landing, I nailed it. I, I, she's like, oh my God, that was actually pretty good you know <laughs> i'm like well don't act so shocked you know <laughs> it's still an airplane you know uh but so you know i had a oh my god smiling from ear to ear you know yeah. all right uh, you know let's uh, flaps up you know full uh full uh i want to say thrust lever full throttle <laughs> and yeah, let's go up in a pattern in you know all right throttle, there's yep. you know a vx vy let's climb out there we go and nice. he's like well what do you want I'll give you whatever you want you want to do a circle to we just landed on three six right like you want to circle to one eight right and just kind of and we'll do power off teardrops teardrops yeah. you know and and uh she's like yeah let's do that so she was like let me do the first one i'm like okay so at 500 feet the throttle comes to idle yeah. she does a 180 degree turn and we try to make the runway without adding any power basically engine failure on the impossible turn as they call on it on the upwind yeah and yeah. she nails it i mean she's fantastic fantastic pilot and she's like okay uh Flaps up, it's your aircraft, right? Oh, okay. So, you know, full throttle, and I come <laughs> back up, and I do the same thing in the opposite direction. So we were basically doing is like figure eights over the runway, and the tower controller is like, yeah, you're cleared as requested. You're cleared as requested. And we were kind of talking earlier about coyotes on the runway and things that you see on the runway. And sure enough, I come in, I, I made the runway, I'm right on the aiming point markers. I even was like, watch this, you know, hold my beer, watch this. Aiming point markers, <laughs> we touch down. And just as we're touching down, she's like, go around, go around, coyote on the runway, coyote on the runway. I'm like, holy shit. No I look way. up, two coyotes on the runway. Oh and so full throttle, like get in ground effect, get off the ground, you know, at least four feet off the ground, and then slowly yeah. start to pull up. And sure enough, right under us, yeah, two coyotes. And wow. She reported to the tower. And yeah. <laughs> and, and I took video and I was showing the family, you know, like, look, check it out, you know. <laughs> so because she came back around, she's like, my aircraft, I'm going to come back around. Maybe we'll scare them, you know, they'll, they'll run off and the airport operations can get, you know. So yeah, it was hilarious. So after a few landings, we ended up uh, sitting in there for a debrief. I got to sit in on about a 45 minute debrief, CFI debrief. It was, it was amazing. Wow. I want to say thank you uh, to, to Kevin and, and to Christy for letting me do that with her student. Um, cool. I learned a little bit. And we got some audio I'm going to play right here from the meetup afterwards at the Outback Steakhouse. Here we are on a meetup with uh, some wonderful people today at the Outback Steakhouse in Denton, Texas. I had the opportunity today to go flying in the Wong Warrior with Christy Wong. And I also had the opportunity to sit in on a CFI debriefing. And I got to tell you, it brought back a lot of memories, both flying and listening to some good old American flight instruction. So I just want to say thank you to both of you guys for allowing me that opportunity today to go flying with you and to sit in on your, uh, in your instruction. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, your landings were not that bad for not having flown a GA aircraft in how many years? Yeah, did we figure that out? Like almost 14, 15 years? Yeah. 15 years, I think you said. Yeah. Wow. So not bad. We had a lot of fun. Oh we God, yeah. saw some interesting things. 
We had great conversation. And what did we see? Coyotes on the runway? Coyotes on the runway. Two of them, actually. Here I was practicing a, uh, I think we were doing power off 180s, which, which was, you know, challenging. I was sweating like crazy, trying to both, you know, impress and at the same time not <laughs> do anything stupid. And here we were. It was going to be a really good touchdown. And Christy said, uh, go around, coyotes on the runway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coyote on the runway, coyote on the runway, going around. That's exactly the way I said it to the tower, too. Yeah. So, and then he, uh, tower grabbed the binoculars and confirmed there were, in fact, coyotes on the runway. Yeah, I mean, talk about an experience. And the weather cooperated today. We were, we were a little worried about that. Yeah, we were. But it worked out, though. It was beautiful. It was like the skies parted just so that we could fly. And what was great is that everybody else stayed grounded. So we literally had the airspace to ourselves almost. Yeah, that was really cool. And we were kind of stalking a very special CFI. Tell me about what we did there. Uh, so I had one of my silly students, uh, Brian, go up with a friend of mine who's also a CFI to do a, a stage check for me because uh, instrument check rides coming up. And I I did. I'm, I am that helicopter, you know, CFI where I want to hear and see what my students are doing. So we, we kind of buzzed around the area and listened to them do the transmissions with air traffic control to make sure that they were okay and, and see how he was doing. I wanted to see how his performance was without me in the cockpit. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. And, and Kevin, how did the, your student do there? Yeah, my student, uh, some of you may have heard of him, uh, Brian Turner from Just Plain Silly. Um, he did great, actually. Um, he was really... I he has an awesome instructor. <laughs> I, I have uh, never flown in a Cirrus before, and he did a great job showing me, and he's not an instructor, showing me the ins and outs of it, and I actually felt... I was a little bit not nervous, but I was excited in a way, but I wanted to learn about the airplane, and he really knew his stuff about the airplane. And it was really fun. Uh, we went... And actual IMC conditions, did a bunch of approaches, and I really got to, to test them out and basically gave him a uh, mock check ride. And then uh, you guys got to sit in for the debriefing, which was uh, pretty thorough, but uh, I think we all had a great discussion. Everybody was jumping in and talking about uh, their experiences to highlight, to highlight certain things. Yeah. Well, and that that's what's great about those group debriefs, too, is that they're not like you're talking to the student. It's a discussion. And that's the way I like it as well. I, I like the student giving input as well. And Brian definitely had input. So it wound up being just a really engaging event, I think, for all of us. Yeah, I had a blast. It was yeah. a good time. Yep. And I got to tell you, it was one of the highlights of the year to, to be able to get together with you i mean we last time we spoke was during the podcast that we where we recorded together and you know that was an honor then and this is an honor now so i just want to say thank you to both of you for uh you know having me here today and uh, giving me the opportunity to go flying yeah thanks you are welcome anytime yeah thank you yeah all right thanks guys and now back to you and back to me in the studio well you know Rob, I, I can't say it enough. You know, thank you to Christy for, you know, having me and going flying and taking me up. It was just a wonderful experience. Yeah. She's that what, what she's so nice. That that was a crazy cool experience uh, that she was able to uh, afford you and um man, I, I, 
that that sounds like one hell of a time. I, I wish I, I'd like to do that one time myself. So yeah. Maybe, uh, Christy, take me up. I want to go for a ride too. <laughs> you know, I think she would. We, we would figure this out. We'll probably get you up there. Cool. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll magically appear. Probably I'll be in the Aviator Sound Studios in Southern California. And Rob might. And I might be in the. Uh... Sound Rob D Sound Studios in Flower Mound, Texas. There you go. Well, part one of episode 81 has come to a conclusion. Stick around. We'll be right back. Joining me for the second half of Flight 81 of the Squawk I Didn't Podcast is an exceptional aviator and co-host. He's an award-winning trophy-hoisting tennis champion, a professional CFI, I, and MEI flight instructor, former freight dog, former airline pilot, a current King Air instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from the Gulf capital of the world, from his layover in Pinehurst, North Carolina, home of the Pinehurst Number no. 2 course. Pinehurst number two. They couldn't have come up with a better name. I don't know. A course that totes the most golf championships in America. From his mobile studios, from the second floor of the Marriott Hotel in Pinehurst, please help me in welcoming our amazing co-host to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how are you doing? <laughs> doing all right, Tony. How are you? I'm uh, I'm still kind of laughing at your, uh, our, I guess, my intro there. Uh, uh I'm sure you're going to edit part of that out, but it was like a five-minute intro. Uh, I'm an award-winning championship. Ten- I, I'm an award-winning tennis player. That's your same and then, intro, man. <laughs> and then maybe I just haven't been paying attention before. And, and then we've got Pinehurst number two, which I'm guessing you have no idea what that is. Well, it's a golf course, I guess. It's a golf championships I rest, around I mean, the. I, I don't my, know. That's my case. Uh, the whole thing is just pretty funny. Well, then, then school me, son. Well, Pinehurst, uh, Pinehurst number two is just a, it's a very famous course. It's, it's held a number of us opens, both men's and women's and co- I, I have discovered, I've never really thought about it. I discovered it. It costs like my yearly salary to play this course a couple times, but, uh, so I will not be be joining the you will be participating in the uh, no, round. actually that's what we are out here for is that the uh, passengers that flew out are apparently playing it's number two, there's a i think nine of them i believe all designed by the same guy back in the early 1900s and there's so there's number one two you know through i i think it's nine um but number two is is the most famous one of all of them and it is what's the what's the reasoning behind it being the most famous is it just a better course or that I'm not sure. I mean, how I'm not that I'm not a golf aficionado at all, actually. Uh, but just the design and, um, you know, there's some golf, some very famous ones. You actually mentioned one before Pebble Beach being one of them out closer to where we are. Yeah. Um, but just the lay, the layout, the scenery. Um, I don't know. You'd need to talk to, to the, the golf guys in order to find out exactly what. Well, as what as you're sitting that. here making fun of my lack of knowledge about golf, I took the liberty of of taking a quick look. So the number two 
golf course. As you mentioned, they're the Pinehurst since 1895. They've numbered their courses. This is Donald Ross's masterpiece, according to their their website. We don't know what makes it a masterpiece. I, that I'm not entirely – that I couldn't tell you. From Pinehurst.com, the centerpiece of Pinehurst Resort, it has served as the site – of more single golf championships than any other course in America and hosted back-to-back U.S. Opens and U.S. Women's Open championships for the first time in 2014. As the first U.S. Open anchor site, the championship will return to Pinehurst in the years 2024, 2029, 2035, 2041, and 2047. So I guess like every what? Six years. Apparently, they scheduled those things years. pretty far out. Yeah. If we know that we're playing in 2047. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty good looking course, and I understand that these these golf courses millions go into keeping them, you know, just oh, I'm sure meticulously maintained, and the design and the the natural landscape is always a consideration when these architects of these golf courses get together. It's definitely a rich man's sport, and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not uh, not something I've other than hitting a bucket of balls. Not something I've ever had the liberty to <laughs> participate. We'll need in. to get you out sometime. We'll we'll go play more of the the, the thirty dollar round of golf though. Only if I can dress up like uh, hey, Payne Stewart. No, no. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, there's wise guys. Well, I check in a hotel. I asked the bellhop to handle my bag. He started to feel up my wife. Yeah, <laughs> only if I could dress up like uh, Rodney Dangerfield will I uh, will I go hit around. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing stopping you. Hey, I get no respect. Take my wife, please. Hey. <laughs> well, yeah, this course was, uh, you know, the design by Donald Ross is mentioned in 1907, redesigned and restored by R.T. Jones in 1974, and again in 2010 by Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw. Man, I've learned something new every minute of the day. This is awesome. Well, that's, you know, that's why we have our Squawk Ident podcast is so that we can talk about aviation and so many other things. Like yeah. Golf. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're ever going to be a true pilot and someday command a heavy aircraft across the uh, Atlantic, you're going to have to know how to hit around the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> well, you know, I got to say I, I, I'm a little tired. I'm a little tired, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, the first half of this show, I was very fortunate to to be able to have an opportunity to record with Rob, and we talked about it a little bit at the onset of the show, is because I had a cancellation. I had an Austin turn that canceled, and as per our contract, if you have a sit for more than five hours due to a cancellation, wherever you are, in base at the airport or out and out station, uh, you are then offered what they call a day room, which is a hotel room that they'll they'll book you a room so that you can go and put your feet up and relax a little bit. Because as we've mentioned many, many times before here in the last couple of years of recording this podcast, the sit times between flights are one of the most fatiguing times because you really don't have a place where you can get peace and quiet. Yeah, some bases have what they call ready rooms or sleep rooms or quiet rooms, but it's not the same. You don't you don't get to take your uniform off and put your feet up and maybe even take a shower and get refreshed, take a nap, whatever. So they know this. So in an effort to keep you well rested, 
they'll give you a day room. And that's what happened to me. Well, that's where the adventure kind of really began. Uh, you know, I was able to go to the Hyatt Place and, and, and DFW and get uh, the first half of this recording done. And then, you know, time was getting a little tight. So we decided to save the second half for the next day. Well, the adventure continued as I went back to the airport around six o'clock in the evening. We're getting ready to, to kick off and go to Austin for the layover. We were delayed due to maintenance. And there was weather around northern Texas, and that didn't help the situation with other flights being canceled and delayed as well. So we ended up leaving about three hours behind schedule. Well, I came up against what is called a flight time duty time, an FAR 117 regulation that states that all pilots are limited every single day that from the beginning of their duty period to the end of their duty period by two factors primarily. The first factor is flight time. Depending on what time you started, home base time, you might be limited to eight hours or nine hours of flight time or less. And the second factor is flight time duty time. What that is, is, well, if you started at six in the morning, you can't go 24 hours without, you know, getting your, your appropriate rest. So for me, it was a 14-hour limit. And what we do is we calculate backwards from your landing, when your calculated flight time was, whenever you were going to land, work it backwards, and you can figure out the maximum off time, the MOT. And I was getting really close to the MOT with this new delay. So I, you know, spoke with the captain and, and uh, the crew and I said, hey, you know, guys, just so you know, I'm getting really close to going illegal. So, you know, probably the faster we get out of here, the better so that we don't have an issue. Now, you can extend. And, and Roger, I, I know that every pilot has their opinion on a flight time extensions. Um, what you're extending is not your flight time, but you're extending your duty time. You're, you're saying, well, I'm good to go for an, an additional up to two hours to bring my day from a 14-hour duty day to a 16-hour duty day in most cases. And I was falling under that category. Now I have a rule. Usually I try not to extend because nine out of 10, I'm not the only one that has to extend. I, we have a conversation with the crew and find out what the captain is going, okay, you know, are, are you willing to go? Are you, are you okay to go? Um, more willing to continue if, if the need be. Well, we got to the point where I was legal by 15 minutes, meaning we had to push off the gate, use up the allotted taxi time that the flight plan had and we had to be in the air wheels up in the air or starting our takeoff rolls with the i think the the definition there so in the air by a certain time and i was within 15 minutes of that time well of course they overfueled the airplane because it was coming from the maintenance hangar from a previous flight and it had 10,000 pounds of fuel too much so they had to defuel the aircraft that takes quite some time long story short by the time we were all done, set, and ready to go, our new delayed departure time put me over my flight duty time by one minute. So as we were getting ready to go, I had talked to the captain. I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and extend because we're boarded up. These pe this is like the last flight. Everything else has been canceled. I feel good because I went to a hotel and rested. 
You know, I had some time to record a podcast and everything. I mean, I'm, I feel great. So I'm willing to extend because and I look back and see a full flight completely booked and everyone's ready to go and they've been sitting around for three hours. So I was like, okay, I'm making the decision. I'll extend. So the, my phone rang and we were literally a minute from closing the door and me turning off my phone, but I knew a call was going to come through. So I had left it on until we were absolutely certain we we're leaving. And the crew schedulers are really nice when they ask you to extend. Oh, first officer Charvella, um, we were wondering, we see you're over by your duty time by a minute. Um, are you willing to extend so we can get this flight out? The first is how they normally talk to you. And, um, yeah, it was, I was like, well, yeah, I'll, you know, we're, we're shutting the door here in the next five minutes. I'm, I'm well rested. I'm willing to extend. That's fine. Well, how long are you willing to extend? And I was like, really? I thought you just extend me two hours. And you know, I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be in the air in, in like 15 minutes. I'll extend one hour after that. If we're not in the air, then I'll call it. So I kind of like split the difference and I'm like, okay. And sure enough, you know, we pushed off to Kate, got in the air, got into Austin. Well, of course that made us illegal for our return flight. Uh, we only were going to get like seven hours of rest, which is way below the minimum of 10 hours. So they adjusted our departure time. They delayed the flight in the morning by almost three hours so that we could be legal. The flight crew could be legal. And we were flying in and out with the same flight attendants. So it was easy. Well, when I woke up in the morning and I checked my 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 phone, the app that we have for our schedules, oh, that flight was canceled. And so we have you going on a on a flight uh, at noon. You're going to fly to Dallas and then deadhead back to Ontario. And then that flight canceled. And so everything started canceling and I'm thinking, oh boy. Well, long story short, I ended up deadheading out of Austin around 3 p.m. and landing in Los Angeles around the same time, a little after three. And then I had to ground transportation to Ontario. And then there was a snafu with the ground transportation. So I waited on the curb for quite a long time. And really, there are no other options. It's not like you can go, well, I'm taking a cab. I mean, it's, just, it's a 70-mile drive, just about, in, in rush hour traffic. So, so I had to juggle some things and make some phone calls, but finally got on the ride. I didn't get home in the front door until about 7 p.m. <laughs> a very, very tiring and long day. Um, but hey, that is part of the adventure of being uh, an airline pilot, flying a schedule with what they call IROPs or irregular operations. Um, you Sometimes you get stuck. And I got very, I actually got lucky that I didn't get stuck in Texas into my day off. Because uh, this morning I was supposed to report for jury duty. And when I called late last evening to find out what time I needed to report, they had canceled my jury summons. So here we are recording a couple days later on June 8th, 2021, joined by our very own in-house CFI, Captain Roger. Now, Roger, you haven't been on the show since episode 77 back in May 6th. You've had a very busy flight schedule and a lot going on. And I just want to say thank you for being here again today. What? Absolutely. What have you been up to, man? Well, it's actually, it's kind of been a combination of just 
the the flying and the work schedule plus some personal stuff with the end of the school year both the kids and um, Tracy wrapping up school so I've kind of and having been gone a lot before that I've been taking more time at home and being more cautious spending spending time outside of spending time with them I guess and so that's taking some time and and making sure everybody got school finished up in addition to some flying which has been a little lighter for me admittedly um the last month simply because um of the amount that i was doing before and then just this past sunday what three days ago now i'm pretty much not going to be home for the entire month of june so um i think that that was recognized and so i kind of got a little bit i got a little bit of the uh the longer end of the stick um for may but i also chose to spend more time with with my family during that time as well good man you're making you're making us all look bad man good man uh well i i don't know about that it's all <laughs> it's always a give and take and then like i say i pretty much took off sunday and then they're going to be on their own this entire month now yeah yeah you and i both have had some pretty pretty crazy schedules um and i think it's it's very apparent for anyone that's been flying in the past few weeks that the airports are full. I mean, we've been we've been saying this for a long time, but what's frustrating is okay. So we're we're prepared. We're ready for full airports. We're kind of it feels nice to be back to normal uh, to to see this happening, and 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 you're flying quite a bit, which is good. It means that you know the business side of America is getting back to where they need to with meetings and and whatever else these you know corporate execs need to do. But the frustrating part is it's a 30 to 45 minute wait, no matter what international airport you're at, because they can't find employees to do all the service jobs. They're, they're offering, I heard this last couple of days, they're offering $20 for an entry level position at some of these places, $20 an hour, because they can't, they can't bring in people on a minimum, minimum wage scale. And I also heard uh, through the grapevine that at Legacy Airlines, some of the employees that work in corporate structure, most of them are telecommuting. About 80% of what they do is from home, and then they come in you know, once or twice a week into the office. Well, they're telecommuting, and they've all been given notices that, hey, if you come help us out at the airport, we'll, we'll give you a little extra you know, bonus for, for helping us out because we have a high demand for some of these entry-level positions that are not being uh, fulfilled, they're hiring our corporate employees to come into the airport and push wheelchair passengers around because we can't find any of the wheelchair passenger uh, assistance. It's pretty amazing the whiplash, the labor whiplash that this country has been through the past 18 months on how everything was humming along and then the pandemic hit and it hit a brick wall and people were losing jobs by the millions, specifically, you know, like you're just saying in the service industry. And now, you know, I just drive around almost any town, almost any town, because, you know, obviously you and I, we, we see a fair amount of them, Mm. pick a town. And if you're driving around, and you'll see signs in storefront windows. Hiring, help wanted. I've got, I'm actually just right now, I'm in a, there's, I'm in like this hotel circle and there's three hotels and there's a sign for all three hotels, help wanted. 
as you drive into the driveway for all three of these hotels. Two, there's two, two Hiltons and one Marriott. And they're on the same sign, help wanted. And I, and I, so where are all these people that lost their jobs during the pandemic? And why are we not hiring these people back? What, what happened? Well, if my unemployment check is higher than or relatively close or survivable, and I can survive on an unemployment check, and I don't have I to work. pay my rent because I have a protection clause that I just pay partial whatever. And they can't and I, kick me out anyway. And my kids are home. And, and to be fair, if my kids are home from school because they're doing online schooling or what have you, and now summer's starting, so now it's even harder because now it's like, well, the kids are home. I didn't want to take a vacation, all this kind of good stuff. I, I can't work because who's going to watch the kids? That costs money for daycare. And plus COVID and everything is, we're still not out of the woods. I mean, we're still not 100% open around the country. Although some states like Florida and, and parts of Texas are, are absolutely open and no mass anywhere. And yet no, no outbreak. Wow. Amazing. But, um, but that aside, uh, yeah. Why, why would I, why would I go and have to get a job making what I was making before struggling so much where life is good, right? The, the system needs to change, but we're not here to talk about that. It's frustrating. Uh, I did a little social media, a uh, few social media posts for the Squawk Ident Instagram page uh, about coffee. I mean, most most of us pilots drink coffee. Uh, Rogers, not quite there yet. Exception but, to the rule. <laughs> he's not quite there yet, but uh, maybe in a couple a couple of decades he'll change his mind. But. <laughs> <laughs> as he gets older. Uh, but yeah, you know, Texas, DFW, A Concourse, uh, Starbucks are closed and they all have signs to say the next the Starbucks, usually it's like further down in the concourse. So I was like, pass one, pass two, pass three. It's like, geez, where's, where's the next Starbucks? Oh, it's over at uh, Seagate's, Charlie, Charlie, whatever. So I take the train, I go to Seagate's and then I get off there at the, at the low Seagate's like Charlie five and I keep walking and that one's closed and that one's closed. And I go to the one that they said was open over at Charlie 25. And there's a sign. I said, sorry, this Starbucks location is closed. You need to go to Alf 15. I'm like, wait a minute. That's where I started. They're, they're close too. So it's, you're sitting there frustrated. So I ended up at, you know, 7-Eleven. Thank heaven for 7-Eleven. <laughs> so again, this Squawk Ident podcast where you can find all things aviation, golf, labor market, Related, although I did want to, I did, I did just want to um, to to question you on one thing here. So on this on this Starbucks journey that you had, you went to so you started out at what a fifteen or something, yeah, or your Starbucks, and then you went to where? So I walked. You know, it, it's like a it's like a horseshoe. Each concourse is like a horseshoe. So you know, I I walked the half circle, and every time, usually every five to six gates, there is a Starbucks location, but they were all closed. So and so, then you ended up having to go to the C concourse. Well, I ended up having to go there anyway because I had I came in at. So a. you were searching multiple concourses just for a four. I mean Starbucks. Well, it was on the way to my gate. To be to be fair, so, the A's and the C's were on their way to the gate. Yeah, because I came in at A. I came in and okay. parked at A five, I think, or something like that, and I was going out of Charlie twenty five. So either way, normally I'd hop on the train, go directly to Charlie twenty five. And there's a Starbucks right there. And so I'd get out, I grab a cup of coffee, I go onto the airplane, I do my pre-flight, I take a couple of sips, and I, you know, I get the juices going and here we go. Uh, but instead of taking the train right away, I walked the length of the A concourse thinking, oh, I'll pick one up on the way. That way I get a, you know, my drink halfway down. Plus, you know, if you're drinking while you're walking, you don't have to wear your 
mask because you can't right so I'm just, yeah I'm just saying so so I, I I'm, I'm searching I'm searching I'm, I'm disappointed and I could have easily went to any of the other like little bagel place but there was a 20 minute line or I could have gone to Dunkin Donuts but there's 17 people in line and only one employee so it wasn't moving and so okay so I kept walking and I'm like okay that one's closed that one's closed let me do a fine because usually Starbucks is pretty quick uh but I know. So, so this was your ringing endorsement for me to become a coffee drinker is so that I can walk the length of entire multiple concourses in order to, to get my coffee fix. My name is Tony and I have a drug habit. Caffeine. <laughs> I, so I got off the airplane and then I went to A15 and then I went to A25 and then the next sign, you know, you, it's like you're trying to get this point across about how there's not enough workers. And all I can hear is this guy, this guy has a problem. He's got a real problem. Yeah. Well, I could have stopped by any of the donuts or the, 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 other, the other shops, but I really wanted my Starbucks, man. Yeah, well, you know, I, I posted this uh, on one of the forums. Just I was just having fun, man. I had, I, had, I had some time between my flights, you know, and I posted this on one of these Facebook forums that I happen to be on for, for pilots that work for Legacy Airlines. And, uh, man, I, I was uh, – I didn't, uh, it didn't go viral, but man, I got many, many hits going, that Starbucks is always burnt. Don't go there. It's a piece of crap anyway. And they're against the cops. And, and I'm like, really? I didn't really. Hmm. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I should just go to 7-Eleven and start drinking my coffee black and grow a mustache and the silver hair and go for the trifecta and wear the hat. You know, you know, it is kind of, what is kind of funny. It's, um, I don't know. I, I try not to talk about my coworkers because we all, like, there's only a few of us. Um, but there is a guy, um, that my boss kind of laughed at one time, every time he's got a morning flight, cause we all have like a company card that goes to the same place. And our boss gets notified when the cards are used every single time there's a morning flight, guess where he goes, he goes to Starbucks and it's the same amount every single time. And it's, I, we're not really sure what he gets for the $14. I think, it, I think he said that it was, wait, what <laughs> that's gotta be like, well, I'm sure that there, it's not just coffee. But, yeah, uh, a, a Trenta caramel frappa crappuccino in the in the couple breakfast and sandwiches a and, and a croissant sandwich or what? Yeah, I mean, some I don't know, I don't know Jimmy, what it is, but Jimmy John's or Jimmy Bombs. You or know, whatever. I do fly with him, and sure enough, if it's a morning flight, he'll he's gonna he he'll hit up the Starbucks as well. Yeah. So it's not just an airline thing; it is most pilots. It, it really is kind of like a routine. It gives me an excuse to have something in my hand. I mean, I don't smoke, I really don't drink, and you know, I. I have a cup of coffee in my hand and it, it pisses off the family sometimes like put that damn coffee cup down <laughs> like well it helps me go to the bathroom what like can i tell you blanket it, it pretty much it, every it's time a, in the morning it's a social thing you know drink coffee have breakfast go and use the I, lab i know i put it down somewhere <laughs> i put it down where'd it go <laughs> well so this this past trip you know this week has been a little a little crazy um and talk about a great way to bounce back right after recurrent training. Now, we mentioned we were going to talk about uh, my recurrent training because this, this time, this last week, I was in Dallas. We mentioned how I had the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to go flying with uh, Christy uh, in the Wong Warrior. And we even heard a little bit of audio from that. That marked the day before my training started. And then day one of recurrent training happened. And this is a new cycle for legacy airline pilots. We were going on a, what they call a nine-month cycle. And now they had 
changed over to what is now the R12 or 12 month recurrent training cycle. So this is my first experience. Now, we've talked about training many times. Overprepared and underwhelmed is the way to go. We've been hit over the head with, you know, how, when to start studying and what should you study and, you know, don't be nervous, go in, try to learn something, be well rested. All these tips and pointers, especially for the younger pilots that are maybe coming up to their first regional job or their first corporate job and, and they want to study and they want to be prepared and it feels overwhelming because it's that cliche of you're drinking from the fire hose and you just have to be able to absorb the information and not pass out from the, from the, uh, all the information that's coming in. But as you get older and have more experience behind your belt, it, it seems to be that we study less and less. And I think that's because when you learn your first jet aircraft or high performance or turboprop or whatever it is, it's all new. So everything's like, wait, what? You know, oh, here's another fact. Wait, what? You know, um, it's the same thing in the airplane. The first time you see something, your uh, human factor, your body says, wait, what? And you, it takes a while. But once you've done power off 180s in the pattern a hundred times, all of a sudden you lose an engine in the pattern, guess what? You're going to be like, oh, okay, I've done this a hundred times. Power off 180, I'll make the runway because I know I can't because I've done it a hundred times. So there's that level of confidence that, that helps really lower the stress and lower all of the human factors that work against you. This time in training, I dusted out my trusty composition book that I have uh, for my training. And I always keep notes in this book. This is the same book I've had since day one of new hire class for Legacy Airlines. And every time I'm in ground school, I'll take notes. And then for the sim sessions, I'll take my notes. And, and the debrief items, I always write them down. Um, so that I am not doomed to repair, repeat my failures <laughs> and the things I need to re, uh, work on. But this time was a little different. And Roger and I uh, talked about this a little bit off the air, how he asked me, you know, how much did you study? <laughs> and I went, to be honest with you, I dusted out my, my notebook. I read through the notes. I went through what is to be expected. But before showing up that first day, that's really the most the the most that I did. And it goes against everything we've been preaching here is to go prepared, but I'm not, you know, this is not new to me. This is, you know, how many years into this career, almost 20 years into this career. Uh and, and you know what? It was an extremely positive experience because I knew I think I got so streamlined in what to study so that both the day before each event I would study what I needed for that event. And everything went so well. Roger, what are your thoughts on uh, my lack of freaking out over the preparation? <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, Tony. <laughs> you know, it's and and like you kind of alluded to, there's a there's a few different ways of thought about that. You have always like always, and I don't ever, ever say anything about it because it's definitely not a bad thing. But I've always kind of laughed it to myself when you I've got my training event and you know I started studying a week prior um I have never done that I'm not I'm not going to lie 
However, I also do not advocate doing it that way either. I think a lot of it just comes down to your, you want to be able to feel prepared and you and each person individually, my recommendation would be for them to do whatever, do whatever makes them comfortable so that they feel prepared going into an event. You've been on the same aircraft type at the same company now for what, four years. You, you had, you know, the, um, your regional experience prior where you were there for, I don't even know how long a decade um, or a decade plus. Yeah. 12, 12 and a half years. And so. Yeah. At that point, that's what I thought. I thought it was about 12. Um, and, and so it, it like, you're going to learn something from it every time you go to training, but you're going to learn something from it, whether you studied prior or not, the newer you are, the more, the, the better off you are to kind of getting some stuff in beforehand. But then as you go on in your career, I think it kind of becomes redundant and you, then you kind of get you're more likely to come be, become bitter about the training process. And that is also not something that I think is a good thing either. It's like, you know, not, nece- not necessarily something to look forward to, but also to be able to take things away from it. And if you're yeah. like, oh, I got to start studying a week prior, these things are not that hard. They are not built for you to fail. They're just to kind of expose some of the things that, especially in the airline world that, hey, this is as a company wide, these are the kinds of, or a fleet at least, these are the kinds of things that we've seen multiple times over the course of the year. And let's learn from other people's mistakes. So you can take something away from it. I think that that's a good thing, but that's not going to come from you starting your studying a week prior um, to showing up. Yeah, you don't want to get, there's a balance, I think. You don't want to get burned out before you even show up on day one. Where exactly. you've been hitting the books, um, the running joke is that all of us sandpiper pilots that are now at legacy airlines through the flow through, we all are suffering from PTSD from sandpiper the training events, um, and, and I'm not going to lie, I, I was shocked the first time I saw a grown man crying in the hotel because they had a bad sim, you know, thing where uh, they had a sim session and they failed a. a what they called a PC or a checkout or a stage checker. And they felt like crap because they made you feel like that. They made you feel like you were worthless. Um, they were like, you need to study and you're not coming prepared and you're not going to, and you're going to get fired. You get, this is, this counts for one strike and you get two more strikes and you're going to get fired. And then your entire career is going to be ruined because you were fired from an airline and you're never going to get a job again. You're and gonna- that's a sad and unfortunate thing too. Cause I mean, yeah, you just don't listen to that, that what's hype the point of that. Right. Well, they're trying to scare you straight. Well, thankfully, I do not believe, and any of the listeners out there could maybe correct me if they know of this happening today, but I don't believe that this hap- that happens anymore. I think the AQP programs that the FAA has set in place so that the advanced qualified program for flight training, where everyone has to answer the same questions, they have to come to the same standard, and they can only teach what's approved by the FAA for that training cycle for that 121 carrier. And and that really has helped alleviate some of the pressures and some of the drama that was coming from the earlier training cycle events that were happening 15, 20 years ago. Um, in the past, I think probably, I want to say the last 10 years, maybe, um, with the advanced uh, qualified program, I, I think that that has been really suppressed, all that pressure, all that PTSD from from flight training. And now it's a more kinder, gentler, 
FAA as well. And I think that's where it stem, stems from because about, was it 2015, the FAA wanted to change their perception and whole they, they be, their whole culture became the kinder, gentler FAA. We're here to help and, and not we're here to bust you. And so I think all of it is related. All of it can be, you know, summed up to we've changed this to instead of beating you over the head and only the cream rises to the crop to, hey, let's all get on the same page and help each other out because it, we get more productivity and more compliance with being a kinder, gentler system. And the cream rises to the crop. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about what I went through. And then I'm kind of curious because you've got training coming up and I know your training is much different in part 91 world, but so I had date, it was a four day event for this R12 and day one was what they called RGS or recurrent ground school. And actually that's my favorite part of training uh, because you're in a classroom environment, you get to hang out with your peers, you get to see some familiar faces and you learn, as you mentioned, like some of the events that are happening, the trends that are happening in the industry, the trends that are happening at our very own airline. Um, and that usually is, um, if you can stay awake, <laughs> depending, on, depending on the instructor, if you can stay awake and you're actually well-rested and well-prepared, not burnt out, and not that you were studying till midnight the night before because you crammed it all in, if you actually just... So if you're one of those every 10 pilots... yeah. What, like it's hard? I, I loved it. I loved it. I was awake. I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I, you know, took notes. And so you, you do, you do like an aircraft systems review. It's very, very, very minor. There's no test involved or anything. And then you talk about the emergency equipment and it's a reminder on how to use the emergency equipment. Now, because of COVID and the restrictions we had and the face mask policy and not touching anything, you don't need to touch. We didn't physically operate the fire extinguisher in the fire pit like we normally do. We didn't physically open and close the emergency doors. It was demonstrated to us. And then anyway, that had a question that wanted to, to actually physically open and close the doors. We have these trainers in the basement there at the Death Star. Um, and so normally we walk through in a group and go through all the emergency equipment and, and you know, review how to open those cabin doors in the event of an emergency and, and deploy slides in case they didn't get deployed. And it's all part of the recurrent training process. And I loved all that. But the class that I really enjoyed the most was Human Factors. And it's only like an hour and 20 minutes long. We're all in this auditorium and we're watching these slides and we see all the events that they have approved for this class that talk about controlled flight into terrain <laughs> and how some pilots really try their best to do that and what went wrong and, and how many incidences happened like this. And, and it's always the same thing. You're clear the visual, dive and drive. Three degree down bubble. Beep, beep, beep. Autopilot Optical. off. Let's do this. And all of a sudden Optical. they hear terrain, terrain, pull Whoa, up, pull no. up. And they're like, holy crap. Terrain, so they pull up terrain, and they, terrain, terrain, you know, they, ahead. they adjust terrain, ahead. And terrain, ahead. go back pull on up. the localizer and glide slope. And then they just sit and it's like, wait, how many times does this happen? <laughs> so we talk about it and we talk about the contributing factors and, and how, especially at night and you're going into a place with obstacles and terrain, you should. Even though you're clear the visual, it's a good idea to follow the guidance 
that you have from the from the charts. Follow, do a GPS. Do a, an ILS. Don't go below glide path. Don't dive and drive. You know, get to the get to the next fix that you can get to safely, and don't go below the published altitude. Even though you can see the runway, there might be a dark area under you or in front of you that immediately that you don't realize is a I don't know a mountain. So we talked about these things, and um, and I really like that class because in the end you kind of you get to see the trends that you your company is doing versus the industry and you know when they're not so good and when they're really good and I, I gotta admit Legacy Airlines has done a fantastic job with curbing their unstabilized approaches which is below a thousand feet you're you know not in a position to land you're descending. More than a thousand feet per minute, below a thousand feet, not configured, over speed, under speed, whatever it is, unstabilized. You know, it always, always warrants a go around. And sometimes people try to save it. They go, I got this. That's not the right answer. Uh, as a matter of fact, Legacy Airlines has the most go arounds due to unstabilized approaches in all of the US uh, airlines that have contributed to the data. So, Good job for those pilots. They're not afraid to go around. Or they have the most unstabilized approaches. We're not really sure which one. Well, no, that data was there on the slide before. We have the least amount of unstabilized approaches. We're still not where we need to be. So you, so you guys have, Legacy Airlines has the least amount of unstabilized approaches and the most go-arounds as well? Correct. So when they are unstabilized, uh, 80% were... A go around because we have all the FOQA data, the flight. Okay, so all that's a percentage quality basis. assurance program. Yeah, so all the data, it's all real time. The airplane is constantly giving thousands of points of data every second through satellite connectivity to SOC systems operation control. When you overspeed an aircraft before you land, they already know. They already know. I mean, the, the airplanes they tell on you. So all this data that's collected for the thousands and thousands of flights every day operated over at Legacy. We have a FOQA department that collects it all, de-identifies the flight information, and puts it all into these wonderful spreadsheets. They have spreadsheets. Really good spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> so that was day one. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, now you have Recurrent coming up. Do you already know uh, how, do you have ground school associated with that? How many days? There, well, I have, I'm, I'm actually doing an upgrade course. So I actually okay. have a full, I have a, a full type rating. A full course. Um, it's, well, kind of. Um, it's a full type rating course, except it's also short because it's only an upgrade because I already fly the airplane, but I'm only, um, I only have the SIC endorsement even though I've received the training. Hmm. And so it's a little longer than a recurrent, but it's shorter than the full course. And what kind and of airplane so this is this? That's for the Falcon 900. The 900, okay. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know actually how it's laid out. I know that it's eight days. I'm guessing that there's probably about three, three days of ground and probably four sims and then a check ride. That's what I'm guessing. Um, from previous experience but i honestly don't i honestly don't know how it's going to get laid out unlike the the airline world where you're just talking about the the human factors all everything in the part 91 world is just airplane related because we don't actually have any company data that we can draw from and make spreadsheets um, 
So we just get systems for the, it's just airplane, airplane, airplane. Um, and then because mine is, you know, followed up by type ride, there are multiple tests that, that I'll need to do as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I got that look to look forward to. Yeah. And how long is the course completely? Eight days. Eight. So in eight days, you'll get your PSE I'll just get upgrade. The, or yeah, type I'll rating. just have, yeah, I'll, basically I'm just going to have the SIC portion on my certificate removed. Gotcha. For the full, with the full type. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's exciting. You know, and, and you've, you've studied a little bit, maybe? Um, I need, I mean, I need to do a little bit of studying because the system stuff that I know is from a while ago. Um, it's, I mean, I know the practical stuff cause I fly the airplane. So all the practical side of everything is not that, you know, like all the time, there's some things that happen in the sim or that the sim instructors want that we don't do in the real world. And so some of that stuff I need to kind of pay attention to and, you know, the limitation, the, the memory items and the, you know, the stuff that kind of becomes a little hazy I'll mm -hmm. need I need to do as well. Um, but like I say, from a practical standpoint, I already know. Yeah, because it's something it's stuff that I do. Yeah. And so it's kind of a little bit of a hybrid thing. I do need to do a little bit of studying on my own just to make sure that I have this kind of stuff because it is a short time and I do need to do the full check ride. So and how uh, many which which type is how many types do you have right now? And which one would this be? Um well I'm typed in the in the Embraer 145. And then I have the Falcon 50 slash 900 type rating, a Falcon 2000 type rating the falcon 7x type rating and now what this one is is a falcon 900 easy type rating so i'm already typed in the falcon 900 and i'm typed in the 7x which is the easy and now i'm going to do a 900 easy uh-huh because it changed i don't know maybe five five years ago five seven years ago or something it used to be just you if any easy type rating would actually counted for all the easies but that doesn't now it's every single which and the easy is an avionic system so even though I'm typed in the Falcon 2000 and I'm typed with the easy cockpit, I don't have a Falcon 2000 easy type. I got you. And so it's kind of a little redundant, but yeah, it is what it is. So, yeah. Well, hey, that's a great experience. You know, and so we had, you know, this recurrent training is a little different because all you're doing is getting current on the data so that you can be a pilot that is prepared for those emergency situations that we don't do on the line, hopefully. Uh, hopefully never in your career. Engine outs, engine fires, engine failures at V1, uh, single engine approaches, single engine uh, go-arounds, all the things that hopefully you'll never have to do out on the flight line. But you're expected, and it makes absolute sense, you're expected to be able to do it second nature. And that's what the simulator portion of these events are. Now you're going to have how many sim events in your training? I'm probably four plus. Four. So usually four the, plus the, the first couple rides. are kind of like showing you the maneuvers you already know, but, you know, just to get you refreshed so that you can do them. So usually it's like the first, the first one or two will, will pay, basically be what you're going to do on the check ride. You're, you're going to go up, you're going to do the stalls, you're going to do your steep turns, you're going to do the precision approach, the non-precision approach. And then you've got a day of that's all emergencies where mm -hmm. everything breaks of all kinds of different varieties. And then usually there's a cold day 
like snow and anti-ice operations, ground oh. and flight, nice. and a hot and hot and high, like where they'll take you to Reno or something, yeah. where they're going, where you're going to go through the high density altitude scenarios and off of a hot high uh, density altitude airport and how the airplane's going to do that. And usually that, and then another check ride prep, if you will, usually that's how it's, um, how it's going to be set up. So mm-hmm. I guess there's going to be kind of the, the warm up, um, a hot, a high and a check ride prep is probably what it'll amount to. Nice. If I had to guess. Yeah. Oh, we, we do kind of a, for a recurrent, we do three simulator sessions now that we're on this R12. The first one, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff. Uh, they call day one, day one of the sim, which is day two of training, uh, it's called RTS recurrent training simulator. And it's not a Jeopardy event. It's just, you're going to go, uh, you do like a, an hour, a two hour debrief or two hour brief before, uh, the sim event. And what we did was they snap you onto a gate in the simulator. And from there, they want to see you do a regular, like you just got into an airplane and the graphics in there are amazing. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar simulator. You get in there and you run it just like you normally would. And the, and the sim instructor is there to just kind of f- facilitate everything. Uh, like you say, okay, and you push the buttons for an ATIS and he'll hand you an ATIS or it'll print through the printer in the, in, on the flight deck, which is just like the real one. We did a low visibility takeoff. So we had to deal with, all right, you push off the gate, the visibility is low, you're going to start the engines. Now maybe they gave you a runway change. What are you going to do? Well, if the visibility is low, maybe it's a good idea that you tell ATC set the parking brake before any of the pilots now put their head into the flight management system so that you have two two less eyes or four less eyes outside, right? You want to be able to make the good safe call, which is stop the aircraft, load the, the FMGC or the, load the box, and then continue your taxi and brief. Um, that way you're not getting in the dirt or making a wrong turn or what have you. So we did that. Uh, we did a, the captain had to do a cat two category two auto land which is when you're less than category one minimums for an ILS, you're cat two minimum. So we had to demonstrate that we knew how to do that, how to run the procedures. We have something called the blue pages in the back of our quick reference handbook or the QRH uh, so that everything's labeled like, okay, what do you have to make sure you do to set up for a cat two approach or cat three approach? And so you have to go through there. You don't necessarily have to pull out the blue pages, but it's a good reference to make sure that you did it. It's not a checklist. It's just a reference to a go round. So, okay. Hey, vehicle on the runway, go around. So, okay. Do a go around. And then you come back around and do another one and do a landing. And I mean, I'm not going to go through the minutia of every single maneuver that we did, but we're doing takeoffs with gulfs with gusts. And we did a VOR approach. How often do you do a VOR approach in an airliner? It's very rare. So we got that. We talked about uh, a couple failures. We had a pneumatic failure of some kind, air conditioning pack that failed. So you have to have all the, the minutia of, okay, what are my limitations? How, what's my altitude? How do I do the procedure to descend? Those kind of things. Do a non-normal landing because now you have a failure of a system. So it's not a normal landing. It's a non-normal landing. So do you go through, who do you notify? My captain that I was with actually had a really good uh, little saying that he said, anytime you have a non-normal event, you, you're looking for two, two, and two. So in the air, you want to notify two people, ATC 
an SOC. As soon as you've done that, you want to notify two more people. You've got the cabin, you want to notify them, and you want to make sure that the ground, wherever you're going, if you're diverting or if you're continuing, the ground operations knows. And then once you get on the ground, two are ATC, if you're going to, you know, a taxi off the gate or what are you going to do? And then once you get to the gate maintenance, right, or whoever you need to talk to. So two, two, and two, and I'm not exactly sure if those are exactly the people that he was talking about, but it was pretty good to know that, okay, have I talked to both in the air? Okay, have I talked to both on the ground? Um, so, and then we also did just this minutia of stuff for four hours, including a takeoff with an engine failure in the second segment, a single engine Cat 1 ILS approach to a landing, and then a takeoff with a fire between V1 and V2, a single engine Cat 1 again to a landing, gusty winds takeoff with electrical emergency, electrical non normal procedures. Uh, we did gusty crosswind landings and localizer only approaches, which that was, a, that was an interesting one. It was an I gotcha. So the localizer that they chose for us, if you loaded the ILS in the FMGC as like ILS, whatever it was, ILS 1-2, localizer only, it did not have a intermediary waypoint listed between the final approach fix and the missed approach point. If you loaded the localizer only approach in the FMGC, which is way down on the list for one, two, then it had an intermediary waypoint displayed on the chart and on your ND, your navigation display. And when you look at the minimums, the charted minimums were much lower if you had the information for the intermediate waypoint there between the final approach fix and your MDA in that case. Um, so that was an I gotcha, because if you loaded the first chart in the flight management computer, you didn't have it. And if you put the lower minimums in there, then technically you would bust the altitude for missed approach. So these little, little tiny things were really interesting. And this is what these simulator events are all about. The little tiny bits of information. We know that you can fly the airplane. We know you can do these approaches. You've done them how many years in a row throughout your career? But do you catch these little nuances that are going to make you or break you in, in an event like this? So that was day one. And we ended up finishing the day with a PRM approach 10 right into Chicago which was interesting. I've done them many times being based there for many years with Sandpiper, but it was nice to kind of dust that off the shelf and, and take a look at that again. Day two was all about maneuvers observation. Like you said, you were doing, you do guys do steep turns and stalls and things like that. Uh, we did pretty much the same thing, but it all had to do with, we did a few stalls at altitude uh, at 35,000 feet. It takes a long time to recover. You're going to lose a lot of altitude and a lot of airspeed very fast. You're on the, you know, pretty much on the backside of the power curve and they have to actually put the airplane out of normal law uh, in order to induce a stall. So, you know, you're not paying attention technically in the Airbus, you can hold full aft side stick and the airplane will not stall. It will nose over uh, in the alpha protection zone. It will nose over and will not let you stall. So you'll lose altitude before you stall. But 
when you pull the airplane out of that by failing a system that they do, uh, then yeah, you don't have that protection. And therefore, yeah, you stall. And then you get to see in the simulator world what it's really like. And man, it's, it takes a long time. It's not like a Cessna where you just nose it over and add some power and okay, uh, recovered. Like within a, what, a second or two. This, this took a good minute, minute and a half to recover. So when you read these accident investigation reports with the airliners stalling over the ocean and they lose all this stuff, like why didn't they just nose the, the, the nose over, you know? It doesn't work that way. Well, I mean, to some, I mean, if you were to do a one-to-one comparison and stall a, an Airbus at 5,000 feet, you'd find that it recovered relatively quickly as at well. At 5,000 feet, yes. A, a lot of that has to do with the, most of that has to do with the altitude difference. Yeah, the altitude and the swept wind design and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that day two was fun. I had a good time. We, we, we all, we learned a few things. Um, and then day three was the interesting part. Day three in the simulator or day four of ground school, we did our CQ line or LOE line observation evaluation where they can't pause the sim. They're not allowed. This is an evaluation. So you are doing a flight and we ended up doing a flight DCA to Boston. Well, you know, they run you today to make sure that you know how to load the single engine procedures at a DCA and the departure procedures and you do the, the mandatory briefing and all the, all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Well, halfway through the flight, they gave us an emergency situation where we had to run through our procedures, define, all right, my aircraft, your aircraft, you know, is it an ECAM exception or a quick action item? No, it's not. Okay. So my aircraft, my radios, ECAM actions, and you read through the ECAM actions and you follow the procedure. And then once you're completed that, you go through the status pages. Once you go through that, then you do the follow-up items. And in the follow-up items... Way down in the QRH, in the follow-up items, after you've been working this procedure, it says land as soon as possible. It doesn't say land as soon as possible on the ECAM. It doesn't say land as soon as possible anywhere else. But on the follow-up items, it says that. So that's the I gotcha there, is that if you're all nervous and you're like, oh, oh, emergency procedure, even though you're in a simulator, you want to do well. And you're like, oh, let's just continue. Like, well, if you didn't do the follow-up items, you didn't see that. So we ended up diverting the JFK, and as soon as we landed, they said, good job. This portion of the simulator is over. Let's take a break. And we came back, and we did our, what they call RAD. Uh, and RAD is the recurrent advanced maneuvers. This is the controlled flight into terrain prevention, uh, which they're, they're, we call them non-memory memory items, which are, they're not memory items, but if you get pull-up terrain, you you can't go, well, what am I supposed to do? Let me look in the FOM or AOM to see what I'm supposed to do. You can't do that. You have to, you have to know. So we went through that, went through the TCAS stuff, went through wind shear. At the end of this three days of simulator, we were exhausted. <laughs> we, were, we were tired from, from all these maneuvers back to back. It's crammed in there. And you think four hours in a sim, then you, it goes by like a blink of an eye. That definitely is one constant about simulator training is that you go in there and before you go in, oh man, four hours, this is going to be a drag. And then you go in and it's about 20 minutes later, you're done. And it was four hours. It was four hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we actually took, uh, except for the last day where we got done pretty quick because, you know, they, we ended up diverting. So that 
that trimmed a lot of time off of the first half of that. But um, yeah, we went the full four hours every day. It's always, you always sit in the debrief room. At least it is for me. I mean, even having done this many times, you sit in the debrief room. Okay, we're going to do this. And 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 in the debrief room, you're sitting there and you're like sweating bullets. Like, oh my goodness. And then you go in and all that and all that stuff happens, but it is not as bad as you thought it was in the debrief and it goes by in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it, it really, really does. The funny thing is after coming out of a simulator, it's very similar to being out on the flight line. You, you park the airplane for the night or whatever, and you go up to the curb at the airport and the hotel van driver's there and they go, or, what flight were you on? Were you on uh, one, two, three? And you're going... Dude, I, I've rebooted my memory. I, I don't know what flight I just came in on. <laughs> I've, uh, I had to ram dump everything. Uh, okay, sure. And then you got to look it up. I mean, you just, you just flew for an hour, two hours, three hours saying your flight number the whole time, but you've completely rebooted your mind because you've got to get all that stuff out of there. And you don't even know, like, like where are we again? Well, when you come out of the simulator, it's 10 times worse. <laughs> So you're in there in the debrief yeah. room going, uh, yeah. And they know there's glassy eyes, you know, <laughs> pilots are like, I just need a beer and go to bed. <laughs> so there is definitely a lot of release from the, the stress of the, the simulator experience, no matter which sim you happen to be doing. Yeah. Because it's not, it's nonstop. Yeah, it truly is. Well, you know, I look forward to hearing about your, simulator journey here coming up in the next few weeks i'm really happy that uh we gotta to hear about what is really involved in a part 91 it really sounds like it's the same as uh, the airline environment you just go in there and go through your maneuvers and your your approaches and knock them out yep which is kind of one of the you know as a side note one of my issues from an initial standpoint with that is i mean if you when you take off, how many times when you go into a simulator and you're doing all this stuff, this you know single engine and this failure, how often do you actually ever go over five thousand feet? How often do you like if you're in a simulator, the goal is to not go faster than two hundred knots because then you're just going too fast. Yeah, and you're just speeding everything up, and then yet you get out into the real world. It's like a lot of the practical stuff, like you've never done here. I give you a type rating and a whatever kind of airplane you've never been over 10,000 feet in it. You've never flown it faster than 200 knots, but here you have a type rating. Yeah. It's one of those things that always kind of gives me, a, gives me, I get a kick out of, I guess. Yeah. About, I think that's why I actually flown the plane like normal. Yeah. I think that's why they do the line operation or they, cause some, some people call it loft. We call it LOE line operations evaluation. Um, I think that's why. Is because it. Let's see you do a, a flight from start to finish. Fly it normal. Yeah, <laughs> and get a get a an easy non-normal. The nice thing is, uh, with all the revisions that we've had over the past few months, which has been very plentiful on the Airbus at Legacy, is we no longer have a memory item. No memory items on that aircraft. Well, we wouldn't want you guys to work too hard. I don't want to have to remember anything. Come on, I can right. look it up. Well, they got the one memory item was for a failure that in the history of Airbus has only happened one time. So they're like, yeah, this is no longer a thing. 
<laughs> so that have to do with a uh, display kind of failure. No, it's the uh, no. it's the A A D R S or A A Hars A D Rs the attitude heading reference system. If the airplane does an uncommanded pitch down, or if some of the protection from normal law disappears on your display, um, or you know the airplane. I don't even remember has to have RAM dump that those those memory items. But if if there are three events that can happen that will put you into a place where the airplane will stall, basically the angle of attack indicators freeze and the airplane doesn't know what it's doing and it's gonna induce a stall protection um maneuver with the autopilot on. And how do you correct for that? And basically what happened what at Air France over the uh, Atlantic. When their AOA right. veins uh, froze and something like yeah, that. Yeah, the pitot tubes froze. Oh, so the pitot tubes, yeah. yeah. Um, and so their airspeed, they lost the airspeed indicator and they showed zero. Yeah, it has something to do with that. Um, I don't know the exact reasoning behind it. All I know is there was a, some procedures that I had to have memorized, and those are gone now. And they actually say in all the releases that that, uh, that procedure is no longer applicable. So... No need to memorize something like that. Well, as we wrap up today's episode, I again want to thank Roger and thank Rob for joining us um, under this uh, circumstance of having a split show. It was actually not bad. It just you know took a little longer. I've been meaning to get this next episode recorded now for over a week. We've been struggling with our schedules and back and forth and cancellations and you know, nightmare commutes and, and all this stuff. So now I do appreciate both of you uh, joining me. I also wanted to take a moment and thank one of our very faithful listeners who has reached out to me uh, several times uh, via our social media sites there on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. Uh, Alex Schaefer wrote in uh, via the Instagram messaging saying, I hope all is well. I've I've really been enjoying your posts on Guess the Control Tower. It gets my brain juices flowing. I just finished up my CFII and will complete the cadet program training tomorrow. This was a, uh, about a week ago. Uh, PPL through CFII. Not sure after that what my next step is. Hopefully, I'll score a CFI job somewhere soon. Ideally, I'll get a spot where I trained but they are all dry up on AA cadets currently. Just wanted to give you an update. I'm still enjoying your podcast. Still? I hope so. And we'll soon catch up with the new releases from Alec. You know, I am so grateful to get feedback. It, it, it really does make a big difference with us here on the show. Um, to, to know that what we're doing is actually being heard by more than family and friends. <laughs> and hey, was- congratulations i mean he just finished he's finishing up his cf i and i mean the, yeah getting close to getting a getting paid to fly and that's awesome congratulations alex yes um you know lo- really looking forward to hearing more about your journey you know keep those feedback messages coming we absolutely love them and again congrats that's that's amazing it's and what a journey you have ahead of you. Really looking forward to hearing about it. Well, let's just wrap it up right here and say thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. We hope you're enjoying Squawk Ident 
please help us out by making sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Ident podcast. If you like what you hear, just spend a moment and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please share the show with a friend as well. We appreciate your support and especially your feedback. You can send us audio feedback and comments via our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you can also find audio archives from the show, photos from the flight line, our Squawk Ident Pilot Shop, the Guest Book Photos tab. You can also contribute to the show financially. Yes, every penny does help. Coffee. And dang, I need more coffee. (laughs) Now that, you know. I can't find it regularly. Oh, I have a problem. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under the Squawk Ident podcast. And I just want to say one final thank you to Rob D and Captain Roger for joining me again today here on the Squawk Ident podcast. And thank you to Christy Wong for allowing me the privilege of being in command of her airplane for a few hours. I've had the time of my life, and I think that the GA bug has been reignited. also want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. Bye safe, everybody. Brain, brain. Pull up, pull up. Like a mandatory, is that like a mandatory pull up? Like oh yeah, autopilot off, pull up. Yeah.